Cricket ACT acknowledges the Ngunnawal people, who are the traditional custodians of the land upon which we meet and play, and pay our respects to the elders of the Ngunnawal nation, both past and present. We also value the contribution that other diverse cultures, identities and lifestyles make to our region, which ultimately enhances the richness of our society and cricket community. Olivia Thornton here, Chief Executive Officer of Cricket ACT. It gives me great pleasure to introduce this podcast series to help celebrate and commemorate our centenary. Cricket ACT is the first sporting organisation in Canberra to achieve this significant milestone, something we are incredibly proud of. Centenary provides us with a wonderful opportunity to celebrate our rich, diverse and proud history and acknowledge the key moments that have helped to shape our cricket community over the years. It also provides us with a wonderful opportunity to look towards our future. Whilst many people have contributed to gathering and recording of our history, three people in particular need to be acknowledged. Don Self, author of Cricket on the Limestone Plains, who covered events, activities and achievements from the early years, 1922 to 1992. John Cope, author of Cricket Continues on the Limestone Plains, who took the baton from Don and continued to tell our story from 1993 to 2015. And more recently, Adam Morehouse, Cricket ACT statistician, who has continued to build on the great work of both Don and John. Thanks Don, John and Adam for capturing and sharing our story so beautifully. On a personal note, it is a great honour and privilege to have the opportunity to lead Cricket ACT into the next century. I would like to acknowledge the valuable contributions from all former CEOs, chairs, directors, employees, players, clubs and volunteers. Equally, I would also like to acknowledge the ongoing efforts and commitment of those who are currently contributing to the game. As custodians of the game, it is our responsibility to leave it in a better place than when we found it. And this has certainly been the case over the years as we have all been able to build on each other's work. Everyone who has proudly pulled on an ACT or a Cricket ACT shirt over the years has contributed to the growth, success and sustainability of cricket within this important region. Thanks to each and every one of you. There have been many special moments over the years, and whilst we can't capture them all in this podcast series, we have highlighted some of the key moments that have helped to shape cricket within the ACT over the last 100 years. Without these success stories and the outstanding contributions and commitment by many, we wouldn't be in the position we are today as a sport and as a leading sporting organisation here in Canberra and more broadly. I do hope you enjoy this podcast series and enjoy connecting and reminiscing with old friends, teammates and colleagues throughout the 22-23 season as we raise our bat to acknowledge our centenary and look towards creating new stories for future generations to tell. Thank you, Olivia, and welcome to episode one of the six-part Glory Days podcast series reflecting back on the first 100 years of cricket in the ACT from 1922 to current day. In the first episode, we take a look at the period between 1922 and World War II. I hope you enjoy what has been a remarkable journey in the nation's capital of Australia's favourite summer game, cricket. It was on September the 13th, 1922, that the Federal Territory Cricket Association was formed. Canberra at the time had a population of 2,287 with the entire territory only a few hundred more. Before we commence the 100 year journey of cricket in Canberra from foundation, let's take a snapshot to what was going on prior to this landmark meeting. ACT cricket historian and statistician Adam Morehouse explains there was plenty happening already. It is likely that cricket arrived in the limestone plains in the 1830s, with the first record of matches played in the Queanbeyan district. A leading proponent of the game was Allyred Tasker Faunce, who played in matches on his arrival in Hyde Park in Sydney. In 1837, he was appointed the police magistrate of the area. The first team in Yass was formed in 1843, and a side was formed at the Ginandera Estate by at least 1854 by the estate manager William Davis. This is the area now known as Gold Creek in Canberra. The first match between two clubs was in 1856 between the Ginandera and Queanbeyan clubs. Matches were a grand affair and a social gathering for people in the local area. The Ginandera side was the strongest in the region, playing matches as far as Cooma, Braywood and Goulburn. Some of their strongest players were the Indigenous workers on the estate, Jimmy Taylor and Bobby Hamilton. Regular matches were also held against Queanbeyan and the Duntroon estate. In 1877, William Davis's son died in a riding accident at the property and the family moved away from the area. 
effectively ending it as the power club of the district. The Hall Cricket Club was formed in 1890 and the Watangaroo Club was formed not long after that. And the three clubs played regularly until the region was selected as the site of the national capital in 1913. The establishment of the Royal Military College in 1911 created a boom for the cricket in the region. The Acton and Canberra clubs were formed in 1912, Ainsley in 1914, followed by Brickbats and Powerhouse. The first organised competition occurred in 1914-15 in the shadows of the beginning of World War I. Seven teams from around the region competed for the Federal Cup. Ainsley, Brickbats, created by workers of the Brickworks and the club was later known as Westridge, Canberra, Duntroon, Hall, Powerhouse, established by workers of the Canberra Powerhouse, the forerunner of the original Eastlake Club, and Queanbeyan. The competition was won by Ainsley. There were plans to continue the following season, but World War I intervened. It was noted in the local press that six players and the scorer from the Ainsley Club were present at Gallipoli. In 1918, the first side from Sydney came to Canberra to play when a New South Wales Cricket Association side played the RMC. It was a strong New South Wales side which included players such as Monty Noble, Randy Horden, Arthur Maley and Frank Iodell. The majority of the side had played first-class cricket. RMC made 212 and 63, while the New South Wales side made 244. In 1919, the Ainsley Club was reformed, playing matches against Hall, Queanbeyan and Duntroon. A competition was held in 1920-21, which included four cadet sides from the RMC, a Duntroon side and the Ainsley and Hall clubs. The Ainsley side won the competition, winning four matches and drawing two. The competition continued the following season prior to the formation of the ACT Cricket Association. So what was the outcome of that historical meeting held at Acton Hall in September 1922, where the Federal Territory Cricket Association was commenced? Adam Morehouse explains the meeting and the outcomes. On this day in 1922, the Federal Territory Cricket Association was formed. This was the initial name of what has become known as Cricket ACT. At the time, Canberra had a population of just 2,287. On September 8, the editor of the Queanbeyan Age suggested the formation of an association with its headquarters in Queanbeyan to govern cricket in the Queanbeyan-Canberra region. It is not known whether this editorial prompted the meeting for the formation of the association or it had already been planned. On the 19th of September, the Queanbeyan Age reported on a meeting held the previous Wednesday of delegates of various cricket clubs from around the region for the purpose of forming a cricket association. The clubs represented were Ainsley, Cadets, Canberra, Duntroon, Eastlake, formerly known as Powerhouse, Hall and Westridge, formerly known as Brickbats. Queanbeyan sent an apology for their non-attendance. Queanbeyan did not join the association but joined the following season but dropped out during the next season. Westridge was located around what is now known as Yarralumla, while Canberra was located close to where New Parliament House is now on Capitol Hill. Westridge drew their players from those who worked on, at the brickyards, while Canberra drew their players from those workers engaged on the provisional Parliament House. Ainsley was a mainly rural team, with their home ground near where the Canberra Inn is located in Lynham, and Eastlake drew their players from the area which became the first retail area of Canberra and became known as Kingston. Hall's cricketers came from the village of Hall, while Duntroon and cadets drew their players from the Royal Military College. Teachers, officers and staff played for Duntroon, while as the name suggests, the RMC cadets played for the cadet side. After a discussion, it was decided that an association be formed to be known as the Federal Territory Cricket Association and that all clubs within a radius of 10 miles from the Ainsley Post Office be eligible for affiliation. The motion was carried unanimously. The second motion was decided that all association matches be played on Saturdays. Matches were of a single day's duration and this was the case until the 1926-27 season when two-day cricket was introduced. Mr Percy Douglas was elected as association's first president and Mr L R Willis was elected as the general secretary and treasurer. It was also decided that the board of control be composed of one member from each affiliated club. The first round of the new competition was held on October 7, 1922, with Westridge playing Duntroon, Cadets A playing Eastlake, Ainsley playing Hall and Cadets B playing Canberra. Ainsley were the premiers in the first season and went back-to-back -back the following season. At the end of this first season, the inaugural president, Percy Douglas, donated a cup for the premiers, which was known as the Douglas Cup. The first representative match of the new association was held on Anniversary Day, now Australia Day, when the side travelled to Cooma and the visitors came away victorious. The FTCA 
was renamed the Federal Capital Territory Cricket Association in 1927 when Parliament was moved to Canberra from Melbourne. And it was renamed again in 1937 when the Federal Capital Territory was renamed the Australian Capital Territory. The Federal Territory Cricket Association was off and running less than 10 years since Canberra had been officially named in March 1913 and the first survey pegs driven in by King O'Malley to commence construction of the new city. The inaugural president was Percy Douglas, who was appointed Chief Fire and Ambulance Officer after serving on the Western Front in World War I. Douglas held several other positions of significance amongst the community and provided stability and continuity to the association and gave it considerable status within the community. Douglas served as president for seven years and was the first life member of the Cricket Association. The first matches played in the Federal Territory Cricket Association were played on October the 7th, 1922. They were one-day games played between 2.15pm and 6pm. A motion to extend the finish time to 6.30pm was withdrawn when it became apparent players living in hostels and camps would not be able to obtain an evening meal if play continued beyond 6pm. Three points were awarded for an outright win, two for a first innings win and one for a draw. The first three years awarded the Premiership to the team with the most points. In the 1925-26 season, semi-finals and a grand final were played for the first time to determine the Premiers. The inaugural Premiers were Ainsley, who were presented with a cup donated by the inaugural president, Percy Douglas, at a smoke social in Canberra Hall, attended by 150 players and officials. For some years thereafter, the Federal Territory Cricket Association competition was known as the Douglas Cup to distinguish it from other competitions in the region. The Douglas Cup still, to this day, is awarded to the A-grade Premier. Douglas enlisted with the 36th Heavy Artillery Group in 1916 and served in France and Belgium from May 1917 and returned to Australia in May 1919. He became the inaugural life member of ACT Cricket in 1928. The Premier teams before district cricket was introduced were 1922-23 Ainsley, 1923-24 Ainsley, 1924-25 Westbridge, 1925-26 Northbourne, 1926-27 Northbourne and 1927-28 was Queanbeyan. So who umpired these games in those early years and what were the pitches they played on like? Most clubs had their own umpires who officiated at all their games. There was not enough men available for the association to appoint umpires. They did however encourage clubs to get suitable men to act. Most pitches in the early years of the century and in the early years of the association were ant bed pitches, which when rolled and watered, assumed the consistency of clay and played remarkably true. The grounds of many of the clubs formed in the association's early years were simply open land in the vicinity of a settlement or construction camp. Nearly all had concrete pitches that were usually, but not always, covered with matting. Initially, coir or canvas matting, often referred to as kipax matting. Most of the grounds were quite small, often about 120 by 80 metres. There were no sideboards at any of the grounds, and at most grounds, no dressing rooms, toilets, or facilities for players to wash or shower. The Federal Capital Commission did, from time to time, arrange cubicles about three metres by two metres, steel constructed on wheels so they could be towed by horses to wherever needed. Ainsley had the longest established ground, which was originally situated in the present suburb of Lynham, before moving to John Southall's front paddock alongside the old road to Yass, now in North Lynham. It was a favourite ground of batsmen with its short boundaries and ant bed wicket that played fast and true. A gum tree next to the Southwell home was known to the pioneer families of the district as the cricket tree. It was beneath this tree that the ladies of the Ainsley Club prepared afternoon tea for the players in both teams. The Westbridge ground, now part of the CSIRO Forestry Division at Yarralumla, had a gum tree growing less than 15 yards from the wicket at gully or mid-on. Four runs were awarded to the batsmen for hitting the tree. 
The population of Canberra increased significantly between 1924 and 1926. Mostly construction workers engaged to build the infant capital. They were accommodated in construction camps, generally portable buildings or tents in various parts of the city. Many of the newcomers brought with them a love of cricket. In most of the construction camps, a team was formed and admitted to the Cricket Association, boosting the team numbers significantly as ACT cricket historian Adam Morehouse explains more. By 1926, the population of Canberra had reached 5,000. This was an increase of 2,000 in just four years. Most of the influx of population was due to workers arriving in Canberra to build the new capital. In 1924-25, the number of clubs rose from 8 to 16. In 1926-27, and in 1927-28, there were 17 clubs and 26 teams. The capital was growing and so was the competition. In 1926-27, a number of the clubs wanted to enter more than one team in the competition and this necessitated the introduction of A and B grades. 12 sides were admitted to A grade, slid into two sections, and 10 teams participated into B grade. Following the move of Parliament to Canberra, the Federal Territory Cricket Association was renamed the Federal Capital Territory Cricket Association. In 1927-28, the 17 affiliated clubs nominated 26 teams. 8 A-grade sides, 10 B-grade, 8 C-grade sides. The following season, there were two factors which brought about the introduction of district cricket. The first was to emulate what the other states had done with their cricket competitions. All the state capital city competitions had moved at one stage or another from club cricket to district or electoral cricket, with clubs based on areas rather than individual clubs. This would result in players being bound to the club they resided, something which was copied from the other states as well. The second was a reduction in the amount of building which was happening across the new capital. The amount of new construction had slowed with the building of Parliament House, Hotel Canberra and the Albert Hall, among others. This meant a large number of clubs which had sprung up around the workmen's camps had now disappeared as the camps now no longer existed. The clubs which were allocated districts were Acton, Northbourne, Ainsley, Monica, Kingston and Queanbeyan. Kingston and Monica were new clubs while the remaining clubs had participated as clubs prior. Other clubs which wanted to participate as well as clubs which had enough for a third team were able to compete in the new sub-district competition. Acton and Northbourne entered a third team in the sub-district competition, while Duntroon, Hall, North Canberra and a side representing the Department of Trade and Customs also played in the sub-district competition. It was in 1928 that two quite separate factors caused the disappearance of many clubs that had played in the Federal Territory Cricket Association. The first was the introduction of district cricket in 1928-29, where only six clubs were admitted to A and B grades with a new name, Federal Capital Territory Cricket Association. The C grade comp continued under the name of sub-district competition. All competitions were now played over two days. The better players in the other clubs, wishing to play a higher standard at senior level, left their former clubs and joined one of the six clubs in the district competition. As a result, many of the other clubs found they no longer had sufficient players to field a team. The second was the impact of the failing economy in Canberra ahead of the Great Depression. The Canberra economy was seriously depressed for several years prior to the worldwide stock market crash. The Federal Capital Commission was forced to reduce its staff from just under 3,000 in 1926 to just over 1,000 two years later in 1928. While the number of workers camps was reduced from 20 in October 1927 to just two in May 1929, many of the construction workers lost their jobs forcing them to return to Sydney where they had been recruited from. Thus, the clubs representing the construction camps disappeared. Junior cricket was formed in October 1929 for players younger than 17. The competition comprised five teams and was independent of the senior competition. The competition, however, soon waned and it was not until 1934 when a boys cricket association for players aged 10 to 15 was formed in September with eight teams registered and fostered by a senior club. Games were played on Saturday mornings with about 200 participants. 1929 also witnessed a change of precedence when Percy Douglas, for the first time since foundation, was opposed for the position by Roy Kapler, the chairman of the executive committee. 
Douglas stated at the AGM, there seemed to be a marked division in the association, declining to contest the election for the presidency and declared Roy Kapler the new president. This was to be the start of an 18 year stint as president of the association by Roy Kapler, the longest term of any president. He was made a life member of the association in 1933. The ground of destination in Canberra for high level sporting content continues to be Marnica Oval. It has just about hosted every sport imaginable, with cricket in particular attracting great content, including of late women's and men's test matches, World Cup games, BBL, WBBL, and of course, the Prime Minister's 11 matches that even had Richie Benno lauding the appearance back in 1984 when the almighty Windies were in town. Well, a great sight here in Canberra with the Monica Oval full to overflowing as the Prime Minister's 11 battle with the West Indies. Richie Benno has made his way carefully up the stairs and into the commentary position, and he's not even out of breath. Thanks, Ian, and welcome to the highlights of an exciting day's play at this picturesque Marnica Oval. The ground itself is sheer delight. One of the finest cricket grounds I've seen anywhere in the world. Big crowd in today, and it's ringed with trees, multicoloured trees, a delightful little pavilion, and uh, good accommodation for all the spectators here. It did have humble beginnings, though, with the concept for Monica Oval being approved by Parliament in 1924. It was not until April 19, 1930, that the first cricket game was played between Dr Neil Blue's Wayfares from Sydney and the local Federal Capital Territory Cricket Association on the newly laid turf wicket. The inaugural president of the Federal Territory Cricket Association, Percy Douglas, was invited to bowl the first ball to the patron, Colonel Goodwin. The wicketkeeper in that match was Keith Carnell, his grandson Ray Carnell spoke about his grandfather's affinity with Monica and his sporting life. Was uh, He had the distinction of uh, hitting the first century at Monica Oval and, and the first six. So that was a good start. His passion was for cricket, uh, as evidenced by two-thirds of his 200-page um, scrapbook related to cricket, which was obviously amazing. He had amazing hand-eye coordination, reflected by his role as wicketkeeper, but also his outstanding achievements. Tennis, football and hockey, Australian football and hockey. Uh, he was inducted into the ACT Sporting Hall of Fame in 1996 for his all-round sporting achievements, but also his contribution to the administration roles within those sports he played. He was also active dedicated coach in cricket and tennis, uh, an active member of the Light Horse Troop, a life member of the ACT Lawn Tennis Association, Reed Tennis Club and the Royal and New South Wales Institute of Deaf and Blind. He was also a fabulous role model for his extensive family. He and his wife Iris, uh, who was deaf, lived in Ainsley, encouraged family gatherings uh, on a regular basis and sporting activities were always included and very competitive. Well before his induction into the Hall of Fame, mainly through my association with sport, I remember coming back from White City after playing tennis in the state title and having hit with him um, tennis courts just down the road opposite the Ainsley Primary School. And he still had skills uh, on that day, you know, he was in his 60s and uh, because of his role with the family, we all knew about his uh, skills, but I don't think we knew to the extent until the ACT Sporting Hall of Fame induction and, and that was brought out in more detail. And the family uh, around my age as well as, as grandchildren uh, spread far and wide, but we all had the utmost respect for him and Iris uh, also in particular to do what they did with Iris's disability was absolutely amazing. And the love for each other that they uh, showed to the family uh, over the years was just enormous. Uh, so he wasn't just a, a good sport, he, he was a fabulous family man. The Australian Test team had been invited to play the first game at Monica Oval prior to its departure for the 1930 tour to England. However, the newly laid wicket was not ready in time prior to its departure. The first curator appointed to look after Monica was Mr McFerlin in 1930 all the way through to 1940. The ground had a two metre slope from pitch to boundary. It was the same slope, Canberra cricketers proudly said, as the slope at Lords. An old galvanised iron shed, which had been used as a mess hut at one of the construction camps, was moved to Monica Oval for use as dressing rooms until a pavilion was built. 
The first Federal Capital Territory Cricket Association competition game played on Monica Oval was the Monica versus Kingston match on October 18, 1930. The Civic Administrator, Mr C.S. Daly, bowled a ball into the pitch, gave it the thumbs up and declared it fit for play. In April 1933, six turf practice pitches were laid on the southeast section of the Oval. While the first sight screen was provided in 1936, there was still no grandstand with a basic scoreboard erected. In fact, the shed that was temporarily moved to Monica in 1929 was still there in 1962. Representative cricket commenced in the very first season with a game at Cooma on Australia Day 1923 in which the Federal Territory won by 84 runs. The team travelled on the morning of the match in three big cars, leaving Queen Anne at 6.30am and arriving in Cooma at 10am. The first series of representative matches in Canberra occurred over the Christmas New Year period in 1924-25, with teams from Cooma, Yass and Goulburn playing the Federal Territory at the Royal Military College Oval. Arthur Maley, who played 21 tests for Australia from 1920 to 1926, brought teams to Canberra in 1927, 1928 and 1932. The inaugural trip by his team called the Bohemians featured two other test cricketers, Charlie McCartney, a veteran of 35 tests, and legendary wicketkeeper Bert Oldfield, who played 54 test matches. The following year in 1928, a young Don Bradman was in the Bohemian side, featured two test cricketers, Alan Kippax and Bill O'Reilly, with 1,500 people attending. An amazing number when you consider the population of Canberra was 7,000 and in the midst of the Depression. Maley, by profession, was a cartoonist and another of his 1927 team was Jim Banks, an enthusiastic cricketer and the cartoonist who created the famous Ginger Meggs comic strip. The Federal Territory easily defeated the star-studded Bohemians, scoring 246 and dismissing the Bohemians for 132. It was not until 1935 that a Sheffield Shield team played in Canberra, when New South Wales, en route to Perth, called in for a game that they won comfortably against the Federal Capital Territory, led by Marnica's own Alf Stafford at Marnica Oval. The New South Wales side was led by Jack Vingleton in the absence of Bert Oldfield, who had decided to make the trip to Perth via boat. A ball was held for the visitors after the match, attended by the Governor-General, Sir Isaac Isaacs and Lady Isaacs. Finally, in February 1937, the first international match was played in Canberra, where the touring MCC team, led by Gubby Allen, played a two-day game against Southern Districts of New South Wales at Marnica Oval. Five Federal Capital Territory players were chosen. Clem Hill, Clive Kelly, Lorne Lees, Andy McGill and John Edlington. A crowd of almost 5,000 attended the first day. Another amazing turnout, considering the population of Canberra at the time was just 8,000. Admittance fee for the game was two shillings or 20 cents. The match result was as expected, one-sided, with the MCC winning outright early on day two. The visitors batted first and made 380. Southern Districts batted twice for 162 and 78. Clive Kelly from Queanbeyan top scored with 49 in the first innings. His score was the highest by an ACT player against an international team until Ian Canney made 101 retired against India in 1968. After 13 years and many failed applications falling on deaf ears for an international touring team to play in Canberra, it finally happened when the capital got an international team in its own backyard. And it wasn't a men's international, as Cricket ACT Hall of Famer inductee SJ Moore explains. 
it was played between a Canberra women's side against the touring English women's side in January 1935. It was the result of an invitation by the New South Wales Cricket Association acknowledging the Canberra side's strong performances across country New South Wales competitions. The Blue Triangle Cricket Association, which was formed in 1931 by the YWCA and named after their logo, was responsible for the organisation of the women's cricket in the Canberra region and had six teams across the capital. So just before Christmas in 1934, a selection trial match was played between two sides of the Blue Triangle Cricket Association, an orange side and a blue side, with the blue side dominating after really strong performances by Marjorie Moore, no relation, she got six for 19, and Edna Tong, who took four for four. A second trial match was held um, just after Christmas on December 27 by teams led by Miss Blundell and Miss Southwell. The game was a lot more competitive with Southwell's side winning by 10 runs. So following that match, the Canberra side was chosen to play England with Marjorie Moore, captain, and Lily Vandell, vice-captain. Moore was the second youngest player in the side at just 16. Eight of the 12 selected were teenagers, with the oldest player being Frances Robertson, age 37. Moore became vice-captain of the New South Wales side at the 1935-36 Australian Women's Championships. She was a contender for the 1937 Australian Tour of England, but was ineligible due to the minimum age limit for players touring being 21. Moore also was president of the Federal Capital Territory Women's Cricket Association in the 1930s and was inducted into the Cricket ACT Hall of Fame in 2021. So the match. The England side was captained by Betty Archdale, who lost the toss. So Marjorie Moore opted to bat first in front of a large crowd. Organisers, being the ACT, or Canberra at the time, had requested a public service half-day holiday that was rejected. Play commenced at 11.30 with a picnic lunch organised at the ground provided between 1 and 2 p.m. Unfortunately they, for the home team, there was a steady fall of wickets and the locals were bowled out for 72 at about 3.20pm, but Captain Marjorie Moore top scored. Despite that just 72 being such a low score, it was the highest score posted against the tourists by a regional side. Rain began to fall before the commencement of the English innings, with play being delayed until 4.30pm, leaving just 90 minutes of play before stumps. The tourists made a really confident start on the resumption, being two for 47 in the 17th over when, you guessed it, the rain returned in a heavy fashion, forcing players from the field and not returning. 87 years ago, the first international match played at Monica Oval was completed. Although small in context of the that tour, it was the start of international cricket in the nation's capital and started a rich cricket tradition, culminating in the first men's test match in 2019 and the first women's test match in January 2022. There were 18 premierships decided in the Douglas Cup from foundation to the start of World War II. In many enthralling contests, there is one that stands out for its incredible longevity and bizarre circumstances. The 1930-31 final between Northbourne and Ainsley was the most memorable of those played before the Second World War. The match was to have begun on a turf wicket at Marnica Oval on March 21, 1931. Heavy rain delayed the start till the following weekend. After three weekends, when Ainsley had batted first and made 342, and in reply Northbourne were five for 234, Monica Oval was required for football, and the cricket final was subsequently transferred to the Royal Military College Oval, which also had a turf wicket. By May 18, eight weeks after the original start date, Northbourne had been dismissed for 414 in its first innings. Ainsley started its second innings and had the worst of conditions of the match, batting on what was described as rolled mud. Ainsley had lost five for 76 when stumps were drawn on day 10. The 11th Saturday, May 23, was washed out without a ball being bowled, the third such happening during the match. During this Saturday, there was talk of continuing the match on the matting wicket at North Canberra Oval. But the Ainsley players objected, 
and no agreement could be made between the players of both sides and the umpires. A special meeting of the Federal Capital Territory Cricket Association executive decided that the match would be moved to the North Canberra ground on May 30 due to concerns over the wicket preparation at the Royal Military College Oval. The match finally concluded on May 30th when the ANZ side failed to appear at the North Canberra ground as they had protested at the meeting previously regarding moving the match to a matting wicket. As they did not appear, the match was awarded to the Northbourne Club. The match, which lasted 12 Saturdays, had far-reaching consequences. The following two seasons, no finals matches were played. The Premiership instead was awarded to the side leading the points table at the end of the preliminary rounds. When finals were reintroduced in 1933-34, matches were limited to a maximum of four Saturdays, with a result being allowed on the first innings for the first time if an outright result could not be achieved. Northbourne, they were clearly the most successful club in the association in that period from foundation to the start of Second World War. The club was formed at a meeting at Gorman House on the 29th of July, 1925. It was originally named the Civic Centre Cricket Club, but a month later was changed to Northbourne because its home ground was Northbourne Oval. From its formation in 1925 until district cricket ceased in 1940, Northbourne won the Douglas Cup six times, the Campbell Cup seven times, and the Rofe Cup seven times. Northbourne's total of 20 trophies was far ahead of the next, Queanbeyan with six, ANC four, and all other clubs. The last A-grade premiership won before World War II was Queanbeyan in 1939-40 season. Northbourne was blessed with some of Canberra's finest ever cricketers, with three players from their dominant area in the first two decades of competition being named in the best ever AC team chosen by Don Self, the author of Cricket on the Limestone Plains from 1922 to 1992. Lorne Lees, Bill Tickner and Keith Carnell. Lorne Lees is regarded by many to be the greatest player of his era and perhaps of all time in ACT cricket. The tall, strong, broad-shouldered all-rounder was from a sheep property at Gundaroo. A left-arm fast medium bowler and a right-hand bat, his playing record was unrivalled in the competition. Playing for Northbourne in a game against Marnica in 1933, age 19, he made 238 not out, including 44s in 225 minutes. That score was not equalled or beaten in first grade cricket for another 57 years. In the 1933-34 final against Queanbeyan, he made 215 before being run out. In eight seasons before the Second World War, he scored 4,557 runs at an average of 56.2. In this same period as a bowler, he took 372 wickets at an average of 12.7, including a 9 for 27 against Marnica. He also took 16 for 67 in a match against Kingston. It would be another 42 years before this feat was bettered. The best of all the bowlers prior to the Second World War was Bill Tickner, who was born at Lumley Park, about 20 kilometres out of Goulburn. Coming to Canberra and originally playing for Hall in the Federal Territory Cricket Association before joining Northbourne when district cricket started. Among many highlights of his representative career was playing for Southern Districts 12 against the touring MCC side in 1929 at Goulburn, where he lived for so many years. He took three wickets, including that of Jack Hobbs, the world's best batsman at the time. His best season for Northbourne was in 1929-30, where he took 94 wickets at an average of 6.8. In his 12 seasons of district cricket, he took 634 wickets at an average of 9.8. He took hundreds more wickets prior to the commencement of district competition. During the war years, Rules relating to residential qualification were abandoned and Tickner played for Marnica. In three successive weekends in January 1945, aged 61, he took 8 for 19, 8 for 27 and 6 for 17. Bill Tickner was also the curator at Marnica Oval from 1940 to 1948. Keith Carnell, 
was a superb wicketkeeper. Born in Melbourne in 1900, he moved with his family to Canberra in 1914 to work on the Duntroon estate. He later opened one of the first sports stores in Canberra, just over the road from Marnica Oval. A member of the first ACT representative side in 1923, he continued playing for the ACT until 1946. He was the first player to score a century at Marnica Oval, as well as hitting the first six at the ground. He captained the ACT on nine occasions, including his last match in 1946. Carnall represented Southern Districts in New South Wales Country Week competition in four successive seasons from 1928-29 to 1931-32. He played 65 times for the ACT, scoring 1,244 runs and making 85 dismissals as a wicketkeeper. In first grade career that spanned four clubs and 29 years, the original East Lake Cub, Canberra, Northbourne and Ainsley, he played 144 first grade matches, scored 3,058 runs with three centuries and made 235 dismissals. He played in six grand finals, winning four of them, all with the dominant Northbourne club of the 1930s. Carnell was elected to the ACT Sports Hall of Fame in 1996 for his contribution to cricket as well as tennis, hockey and Australian football, all sports that he represented the ACT in. He was inducted into the Cricket ACT Hall of Fame in 2022. As with most sports, politics and governance can be a contentious issue, and the early days of cricket in the region certainly experienced that, with the emerging nation's capital struggling for recognition and acceptance in the formative years, and some may argue, way beyond. The Canberra region was nominally part of the Goulburn District Cricket Association, where the Federal Territory Cricket Association was established. The link, however, between the FTCA officials and the Goulburn officials was so tenuous that neither association thought it was necessary to communicate with each other. In 1924, the FTCA applied for affiliation with the New South Wales Cricket Association. On the 7th of October 1924, the New South Wales Cricket Association granted the FTCA affiliation, but only as one of the associations that made up the Goulburn District Cricket Association, not as a separate entity. The New South Wales Cricket Association considered the FTCA to be in New South Wales and therefore subject to control by New South Wales Cricket Association. The organisation of cricket in many country areas of the state in the 1920s was considered haphazard and loose. In an attempt to strengthen administration of cricket in the country regions, it was encouraged and supported by New South Wales Cricket to establish district councils. As a result, the Southern Districts Council was established on November 20th, 1930, with its headquarters in Goulburn. The Southern Districts Cricket Council's main responsibilities were to facilitate arrangements for matches between the member associations in the Southern Districts, to arrange matches between the Southern Districts and visiting Metropolitan, Interstate and International teams, to select teams to represent Southern Districts in matches against visiting teams and in the Country Carnival. Soon after the formation of the Southern Districts Cricket Council, they asked the New South Wales Cricket Association to define the district's boundaries. They replied, the territory on the main Southern Railway line and branches from Barrel to Aubrey and also the South Coast, Young and Grenfell. In short, the district stretched from Grenfell to Bega and from Aubrey to Wodonga. Roy Kapler and Jay Esmond became the Federal Capital Territories delegates to the Southern District Cricket Council and played a big part in the players from the Federal Capital Territory getting improved opportunity around selections and involvement in a revised and rejuvenated inter-council representative competition. At the Federal Capital Territories AGM in October 1931, Kapler and Esmond were directed to seek to have the name changed to Southern District and Federal Capital Territory Council and have the headquarters moved to Canberra. The council agreed to include Federal Capital Territory in the title, but declined to move the headquarters to Canberra. In fact, the council declined to do anything. It was virtually moribund, inactive. On 28th of November 1935, prompted by the Federal Capital Territory and particularly by Kapler, the council agreed that Roy Kapler, LGR Thornber 
and I.A. Smith, the President, the Secretary and the Treasurer of Federal Capital Territory, should be the President, Secretary and Treasurer of the Council. The western part of Southern Districts was no longer part of Southern Districts and Federal Capital Territory with, yes, the western extremity of the district. Kapler's first act was to persuade the Burns Club of Canberra to donate a trophy for annual competition between the associations which made up the council, thus ensuring regular competition for the better players in each association at a higher level than what district cricket provided. In 1938, Crookwell Cricket Association donated the cup to the associations to play for at under 25 level. The competitions in the Burns Cup started in 1936-37, with Federal Capital Territory the inaugural winners. Goulburn won the following two years, with Illawarra winning in 1939 and 40. Mossvale 1940-41, before cricket stopped due to the escalation of World War II. The Crookwell Cup commenced in 1938-39, with Crookwell winning the first two seasons and Illawarra the last year in 1940-41, with again the competition ceasing due to the war. Another change to representative cricket occurred in November 1936, when the New South Wales Cricket Association reinstituted Country Week, but as inter-association rather than district competition, with about 30 associations, including the Federal Capital Territory, playing. It was played again in 1937 and 1938, however, the outbreak of World War II meant that no Country Week would be held for eight more years. The Country Week matches played in Sydney were enjoyed by players, but had a wider significance. The New South Wales Cricket Association Country Committee regarded them seriously, rostering on committee members to watch as many matches as possible. While in Sydney, the Country Committee arranged for the country players to receive coaching from some of Sydney's finest and former international players. After the week's competition was finished, a country team was chosen to play against the New South Wales Cricket Association team, usually a Colts side or a Metropolitan team, which was watched by state selectors in the hope that some of the players may be good enough to play in Sydney or in fact the Sheffield Shield team. Relationships between the FTC Association and the New South Wales Cricket Association in the first 12 years after foundation of the FTCA were at best lukewarm and mostly worse. The FTCA firmly believed with some justification that the New South Wales Cricket Association was at least partly responsible for the FTCA's failure to be granted membership of the Australian Board of Control for International Cricket. The FTCA complained that it was both anomalous and unfair that it should be represented on the board by New South Wales Cricket Association delegates. It was anomalous because the Federal Territory had been a separate territory since 1911 and was not part of New South Wales. It was unfair, they said, because New South Wales did not pay due respect to Canberra's status as a national capital. This lack of recognition of Canberra's assumed status was particularly hurtful when the program for overseas teams were being drawn up because the New South Wales Cricket Association officials on the board gave preference to New South Wales towns, not Canberra, when deciding where the touring teams would play. For the next seven years between 1927 and 1934, the Federal Territory Capital Cricket Association pursued its desire to be admitted to the Board of Control as a separate entity than New South Wales Cricket, but with no luck. During this time, they withdrew its affiliation with New South Wales Cricket Association and also did not nominate players to the Southern Districts team to play in the New South Wales Cricket Association Country Carnivals. Relationships between FCT and the New South Wales Cricket Association did not improve until April 1934, when A.W. Green, the President of New South Wales Cricket, invited the FCT to send three representatives to Sydney to discuss matters of mutual interest with R.A. Oxlade, Chairman of the New South Wales Cricket Association Executive Committee and R.G. Herford, Chairman of the Country Committee and the members of two committees. At this meeting, New South Wales Cricket Association told the Federal Capital Territory Cricket Association, represented at the meeting by its President and Secretary and J.F. Colopy, President of the Northbourne Club, quite frankly, that it had no chance of representation on the Board of Control until the population of the Territory was much larger. 
FCT accepted this advice and decided that it would not seek representation for some time to come. As a result of this meeting, New South Wales Cricket Association altered its Articles of Association on June 18, 1934 to make it clear that it was responsible for cricket not only in New South Wales but also in the Federal Capital Territory. Thus, the FCT achieved one of its two aims it had been seeking since its formation recognition of its status as a separate territory, but only by agreeing, for the time being, not to pursue its other aim, separate representation on the Board of Control. From the date of this meeting, SCT accepted that it was part of New South Wales Cricket Association and in turn, the New South Wales Cricket Association gave considerable assistance to the FCT. After the reconciliation in 1934, New South Wales Cricket Association also offered to encourage the visits to Canberra of the interstate and overseas teams, and within three years both the New South Wales Sheffield Shield team and Gubby Allen's MCC team had played in Canberra. Just like all regions and cities across Australia, the advent of World War II in 1939 meant that maintaining competition sport was a huge challenge, and Canberra, with a population of just 12,000 in 1940, was no exception. Although this figure would be boosted in the next few years by servicemen, it was offset by enlistments and the transfer of some elements of the public service to Melbourne, where most of the country's administration was being conducted throughout the war. The other issue was grounds, with some being used for military purposes and bases, while upkeep and maintenance on grounds stalled due to the war effort priorities. The junior competition had to be abandoned because there was no senior players to coach the juniors during the week or supervise on Saturday mornings for the competition. However, the Boys Association was able to continue its matches and in fact in 1940-41 added an under-16 competition to its responsibilities to compensate for the lack of a junior competition. This lasted the one year, with the entry of Japan into the war in December 1941 brought the conflict to the shores of Australia, and for the next four years, normal competition was impossible, with sporadic competition for servicemen and juniors being played with fluctuating teams and participants. It was time to bunker down for a nation, as the grips of wartime took toll. That completes episode one of a look back across the first 100 years of cricket in the ACT. We look forward to you joining us for episode two, which will cover the period when cricket re-emerged from the end of the war in 1945 to 1965.